Thanks, everybody. Appreciate that. Does everybody have an outline tonight? If you don't, we'd be happy to get you one. Um, actually, I don't know if we have They're all counting stuff. So if anybody, uh, Jeff, do you mind? And Brian, do you all mind grabbing a couple of handouts? If anybody needs one, raise your hand. We have a few folks who need one. And we greatly appreciate you getting that to them. A few weeks ago, I began a series entitled Giving, Biblical Giving, What Does the Bible Require of Us? And as I mentioned at the beginning of that sermon, I've always kind of shied away from topical messages on giving just because our church has always done such a great job providing for the needs of our church, providing for the budgetary requirements of our church, requiring uh, budgeting, or as we budget and as we spend, this church has always been conservative in our spending and very liberal in our giving. And it's been wonderful to see how God has provided and uh, as that is the case, uh, I've just kind of shied away from that, but I became convicted that uh, we need to really examine in our hearts that we're doing this the right way. Yes, it's great that we're meeting budget, but that doesn't mean we're giving as we should. And so as we talk about this, we wanted to work through what the Bible has to say. This is a more topical message. It's very much outside my comfort zone. I, you all know me. I'm used to preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter uh, through a Bible text. It's much more comfortable for me. So this is a stretch for me in some ways, and I appreciate the challenge it's been to think through what God's Word has to say. Last week, actually, during the Sunday morning message, uh, our missions conference message, I got to preach a message on how the church is supporting missions and partnering with missions. I really appreciated the opportunity uh, to expound that text. I just, I just love that passage. I love the book of Philippians, and I put this verse from Philippians 4 at the top of your outline because in it, Paul is talking about the gift the Philippians gave to him as a way of furthering the ministry that he was doing. And he said the following, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He, he looks at the gift that they gave them, and he says, What you gave me is a sweet-smelling aroma. And he's using figurative language here. He's not saying that literally as they brought it in his house, it smelled really good. You know, it's not that kind of a, it, might, it wasn't homemade bread, in other words. It was not a gift that smelled good itself. It was the fact that they gave, he uses Old Testament sacrificial language, worship language to describe the giving, a sweet-smelling aroma. Notice the next phrase, an acceptable sacrifice to God, that God accepted their sacrifice. He acknowledged their sacrifice. He said, yes, it's good sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These are terms associated with Old Testament sacrifice and a lot of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We don't have that sacrificial system today. There's no altar here where we're sacrificing animals, praise be to God. Uh, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and He does away with all animal sacrifices. He is the one uh, through whom we come to God now. We come to Him through, we come to God through Christ. He is the way in which we approach God. And that's another whole uh, sermon. But I want you to notice the theme here that God, God calls our giving as worship to Him. God calls us as we give that we should, we should worship Him. And when we are worship, there are several things that must happen. We're going to look at what the Bible says. Before we do so, let's dedicate our time to Him now. Lord, we ask You to please work in our hearts and help us to examine ourselves as we Reflect on worship and giving and what that means as we look through your Scripture and see all the different parts of your Scripture that support this. I pray, God, that we would be open to our own hearts being changed by you, that the Spirit would work 
And we thank you for the clarity of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start very simple and very straightforward with this first point. When we worship, we bring something to God. Look at Genesis 4, if you would. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis 4. And the first example we have of worship in the Bible from people, I believe, comes in this passage right here. Look at Genesis chapter 4, and we see a first example of what Cain and Abel do. In fact, we have in chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son Cain, and, he, and she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. We see a lot of time passes between verse 1 and verse 2. They grow up. They become young men. They become capable in their field. And the first thing we see them doing here is worship. And in the process of time, it says in verse 3, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. There is simply the offering given. This is something you have. You must bring something you have. I find this to be fascinating that both of these men, Cain, who's a farmer, brought from the fruit of the ground. Abel's a sheep herder, brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat. Both of them brought something that they had. And this is a, an obvious statement, but it needs to be said. You, when we give, we don't give things that belong to other people. We give what belongs to us, what God has entrusted to us. We give of ourselves. We give of our things. We cannot give by proxy. We cannot say, well, you know, so-and-so gave, so I feel okay about that. No, we give. We must give from what we have. And the offering is received by God in verse 4 and verse 5. It says, then the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. It's fascinating here that God, although both offerings are brought, God does not treat both offerings equally. There's a difference between these two offerings. It says, and Cain's response shows his heart about this. It says, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. I think King James says wroth. That's a really good old-fashioned word that means pretty mad. He was mad at God that his offering was not received. Two offerings are given. One is received. God respects Abel. God does not respect Cain. He does not acknowledge that. It got, the Bible, interestingly enough, here in this passage does not tell us exactly why it is that he does not respect this offering. Now, we can make some assumptions that perhaps God had told them you bring a blood offering, you bring a, an animal offering, but it doesn't necessarily say that in this passage. We don't know for certain, but if you go to the Hebrews chapter 11, we do see this, uh, this verse here. It says that by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through him, or through it, he being dead still speaks. Notice the way that Hebrews talks about Abel's offering by faith. That there is, there is a special way in which Abel comes to God, giving what he has, he comes by faith. And I think it's the response of Cain and his re offering being rejected that really shows us a glimpse into his heart. And we don't have time to get into all the details and all the things that could mean, but his anger at God at being his offering not being received is a clue to that. But the key idea here that I want us to remember is that as we bring, we bring something we have. And if you go forward a few chapters of Genesis 22, I want you to, you, we should bring something you love. This is a passage I mentioned this morning in my morning's message, Genesis chapter 22, we find the story of Abraham bringing his son Isaac. Now, if you remember here from this morning, God promised Abraham a son. And more than a son, he promised him an inheritance, 
a nation, more descendants than could be numbered. But this would begin from his own body, Abraham's body. And so what Abraham does is he goes and finds uh, or Sarah gives uh, Hagar to him, and he has a son by Hagar, and God says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to have a son through your wife. And, and his behavior, though, from Genesis 15 to 22 is not the kind of behavior you would emulate. In fact, they, they, God appears to him and tells him by, that by the next year, Sarah would have a son. And what does Sarah do to that news? She laughs. She says, oh, this is ridiculous. She laughs at the promise. But God keeps his promise in Genesis Chapter 21, we have Isaac being born. And as Isaac is born, we have the birth of the son of promise. And this helps us understand the context of Genesis 22. And I've always been amazed, if you read this slowly, I want you to notice how many times God talks about the son, Isaac, his son, and how much emphasis is put on this. Read with me the first couple of verses. He says, He came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And now it seems really hard for us to understand why God would command such a thing. Our perspective, we know God is testing Abraham. We know the end of the story, but Abraham did not know the end of the story. And he did not know the first verse of that story either. He did not know that God was testing him. In fact, this, God is putting his finger on the most important thing in Abraham's life, the thing that Abraham loves. He says as much, your son, your only son whom you love. Imagine being barren for all of his life and desiring a child. God had promised him a child and him wondering about this child. And then God finally gives him that child and how much he would have treasured that child, how much they would have gone out of their way to protect that child. Talk about a helicopter mom. Can you imagine Sarai? Oh, Isaac, be careful. You're the son of promise. You can't ride that bike without a helmet. Can you imagine the amount of protection that would be cast upon that child from the family of this is the chosen child? And you understand now why Ishmael would have been mad or would have been angry at Isaac and would have mocked him like he did. And they, they care for Isaac. They love Isaac. And God says, take him and offer him as a burnt offering. What an amazing thing. God says to do this. And Abraham obeys. Abraham goes through the process of obeying God. And he willingly offers his son to God saying, he is not mine. He is yours. And that's the key to offering is we take something we love and we give it back to God. And when we do this with our children, it's not in a burnt offering kind of a way. We bring our children to God. We say, Lord, they're not mine. They're yours. I offer you what I love, who I love. We offer God what I, you know, what good is it if we offer God something we don't care about? You know, it, it reminds me of the story of a sister who gives her sister a gift for her birthday of an old toy that she's tired of. Great, that's a wonderful gift. Not really, because what good is that gift? What does that gift mean if she doesn't really care about it? What was amazing to me, what I really love, is when one of my kids gives a gift to their sister, to their brother, and they, they really would have loved to have that gift themselves, but they give it away. That shows love and that shows giving. And the same thing for us. When we come to God and we give to Him, we give Him what we love. And, but there's something more to this, because when we worship the Lord, we must always ask ourselves, what kind of offering does God want from me? We should bring him something that honors him, something that he actually wants from us. It's not right for us to think of what we want. We must consider what he wants when we bring offerings to him. And so that's why I have here something he loves. We must bring something. And I gave you extra space. Those of you who are extra 
um, a perceptive will notice there is additional space below that, that, that note. And so I give you room here to write some of these things. I was reading a great article by a man named Eric Wright called Seeking Balance in Worship. And in this, he listed several things that we should bring to God in worship. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. So I'm going to list some of these. I'm not going to list all of them that he gave, but some of them that might, you might find uh, especially helpful here. And he says uh, in Hebrews 13, 15, we are to bring praise. He says, therefore, let him, or by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, right? We're offering a sacrifice of praise. When you honor God, when you say, Lord, you are great, Lord, you are holy, when you praise God, that is an offering of praise, as an offering, a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of your lips as we give thanks to his name. Praise is an honorable sacrifice. Through Jesus, we should continually offer the sacrifice of praise. God loves it when we talk well of him. God enjoys it when we speak well of him. When you talk about God, in fact, I want to commend you as a church. I talked to one of our missionaries at the missions conference, and he said, you know, I, I, I don't have as many spiritual conversations with people at churches as I've had with people at your church. So many people have tell, told me their testimonies. So many people have told me how God has been working in their life, and I didn't have to provoke that. He said, I just was talking to them, and they talked about God. That is amazing. That is a sacrifice of praise. You're praising God. Just went in your conversation. That's how you should talk. That's how we ought to talk. Praise is good. Also, thanksgiving and testimony is another one, if you want to put another bullet point on your list there. Psalm 107 says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Notice this next phrase, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. What is he saying? He says, if you're one of the redeemed of the Lord, you ought to speak about being redeemed from the Lord. You ought to give thanksgiving and testimony of God. You, you should be able to tell people how good God has been to you. And you should give testimony to the Lord. Hey, you've been redeemed? Talk about it. Talk with people about it. Say, thank you, Lord, for redeeming me. Soon we'll have the opportunity to do this in a corporate setting. And, and, and not too long, we're going to have a, our, our Tuesday night Thanksgiving praise service. And it's one of my favorite services of the year. The, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we will come and we'll be here in this, in this building here. We invite you to come at 7 o'clock. There'll be, well, now it's praise and pie, right? So bring your pie and, and enjoy uh, wonderful pies afterwards. But uh, we sit here in our praise service, and for about an hour, we just give testimonies of how God has been good. We pass around the microphone, and we give short testimonies of how good God has been to us, and we give thanks. Now, not everybody's had a great year. Some people have hard years and difficult years, but it doesn't matter how difficult our year has been. We ought to find a way to give thanksgiving and praise to God, right? That's how we ought to live. That is part of our worship is we praise God, and we give thanks to God. Let the redeemed of the Lord uh, say so. Also, uh, this idea of celebration. I know this is small on the screen, but it's in Psalm 145. He uh, notice the celebratory words and how he speaks. He says, I will extol you, O God, my King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Celebration is an important part of worshiping God. We come together and we rejoice. Much of our singing is worshiping God and celebrating how good He is. We say, I will extol you. I will sing praise to you, O God, my King. On the other side of that is confession. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, there's a story where Isaiah the prophet goes into the temple of God. It says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What he's seeing here is a pre-incarnate Christ. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And in this response to the greatness of God, what is his response? He so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In seeing God, what is his response? I am a sinner. We must be a people of confession. We must, as we come before God in worship, it's not just about throwing money in the plate. It is about coming with confession in our hearts. We see God, we confess our sins. There is a, there is a bad ten, uh, tendency among Christians today in our, our kind of churches that we don't think we need to repent of anything. Man, we got everything where it needs to be. I've already decided. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've already decided. I'm good. And you, don't, you, you, know, you build the wall before the sermon starts so you don't allow God's Word in anywhere. You, don't, you, you just decide you already have everything figured out and you're not going to change. You almost make a deal with yourself. And the Bible tells us this is not how we are to live. When we're confronted with the reality of who God is, we cannot help but confess our sin and see ourselves for who we are. He says, I am undone. I am, I am woe for me. I, I am, I'm in the midst of a people with unclean lips. He recognizes his speech as being, as being weak, as being sinful. Further, in Psalm 51, it says explicitly, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I preached on this text not too long ago. And part of the sacrifice to God, part of the worship to God is confession. Let's keep going. He says that we ought to have generosity in our hearts. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And as I've said many times uh, from this pulpit, when we read the words rich in this present age or we see the term rich in our Bible, do not think of the guy sitting on Wall Street or the guy in the mansion on Lake Wiley. Think of yourself because we are very rich. We are rich in this present age. How should we respond? We should respond by being rich in good works, not identified, not known as being rich in our wealth, but rich in our good works ready to do good, and ready to give, willing to share. We ought to be generous with other people. This is proper and fitting for worship. God is honored when we share and we love others. Also, there's the worship of service. This is what God loves. When Jesus was dealing with Satan directly there in his temptation, he answered one of Satan's temptations with this verse. Jesus said, Away with you, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only should you serve. You're not supposed to serve God and money. You're not supposed to serve anyone but God. We serve the Lord. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul talking about the Thessalonican church and their change and their radical change and their salvation, he says, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you 
turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They were serving idols, and they rejected these idols, and they turned to serving God. Friends, this is part of our worship to God. Just a few more, and we're done with this section. Also, prayer. I have been fascinated by this passage in Revelation chapter 5. Because if you look at this, when he describes here the throne room of God and the visions of heaven, all of heaven is engaged in worshiping the Lamb, the Lord who sits upon the throne. John sees something truly remarkable. You see this? When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. What smells good in heaven are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are like a bowl of incense offered before God. They smell good, and it adds to, I don't exactly know why or how or what exactly that looks like, but isn't that neat that our prayers, as we pray to God, our prayers are described as a bowl of incense offered here in the throne room of heaven, the prayers of the saints. It's, it's amazing that our, our, they delight God. They delight the Lord. He is delighted by the prayers of the saints, and our prayer is worship to Him. Also, our personal consecration is worship to Him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Your body ought to be a sacrifice that continually is sacrificed over and over again. The temptation of the living sacrifice is to crawl off the altar, but God says that the offering of our hearts, of ourselves, ought to be continual. We are not burned up and consumed in our offering. We continually offer ourselves. He says, when you do that, you are holy, acceptable to God. And then this last phrase can be translated two different ways. Our Bible says, which is a re- your reasonable service. Uh, there's another way of saying this, which the New American Standard translates, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your, your, your consecration, your personal consecration to God is worship. Your giving of yourself. God delights in that. So think of that. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Lastly, as we take the Lord's Supper, it is remembrance is part of our worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Part of our worship is remembering God and remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross through the Lord's table. All these things honor the Lord. They're things that bring Him praise. When we come... We bring something to God. And when we come, here they are. In case you didn't see them all, I will read them out. Praise, thanksgiving, celebration, confession, generosity, service, prayer, consecration, and remembrance. When we worship, we bring something to God. And when we worship, we bring ourselves to God. I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22, to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. Worship is more than just bringing things to God, as good as that is. You could give all of your goods to feed the poor and give your body to be burned. But if you do not have love, it profits you nothing. The Bible says that giving things is good and and giving things to God is good, but you can give everything to God and, and still miss the boat. In fact, look at this passage here. This discussion begins around a debate about whether to pay taxes, as most good discussions begin, right? Look at verse 15. 
Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Oh, boy, that's a setup, isn't it? Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're setting a trap. They're trying to get him to divide the people there. And so Jesus' response is marvelous. Because how he responds cuts to their heart. Look at verse 18. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, which is a coin. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. I want you to notice two things here. First, you are made to reflect God. Notice he says, whose image is this? And they recognize Caesar's image. And then he says, Render to God the things that are God. He's looking at them. He says, whose image are you? In Genesis chapter 1, we have this. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Our image Marred by the fall, yes. Marred by sin, yes. But it's in the process of being transformed into the perfect man we behold in the glory of God. We're told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when Paul says, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we behold Christ, we are transformed into His image. We become more like what we look at. And as we become more and more Christ-like, we are made to reflect Christ, just as Jesus pointed to the coin and said, who does this belong to? It has His picture on it. He looks at us and says, who do you belong to? He has your picture on you. We are made in the image of God. God owns you, and you're made to reflect God. And by denigrating the image of God, you are denigrating God. God says we are made to reflect him. But it's more than that. Look at verse 21. It's that we are made be to belong to God. We ourselves belong to Him. That's why he says, render to God the things that are God's. What is God's? Well, everything's God's. What's he talking about, though? He's talking about you. He's looking at you, and he says, your life belongs to the Maker. Render yourself to Him. You don't have rights over your life. God owns you. When we worship, we bring ourselves to God. We don't just bring our gifts. We must bring more than our gifts. We bring our very selves to God. But it's no good just to bring ourselves to God or just to bring our things to God. We must do so with the right attitude because nobody, nobody wants somebody who's going to give out of a bad heart. The Bible tells us this. When we worship, we must give out of a willing heart. Back to the Old Testament. Let's look at Exodus chapter 25. 
Genesis, Exodus. As I was studying for this, this is something I came across that really stirred me in my heart, and I figured I would put it right here. I think this is appropriate as we talk about worship, because when we worship, we give a willing heart. How do we give? Well, actually, let's go to chapter 28. Let's start at chapter 28. In this section, God is giving instructions to Moses about building the tabernacle. This is while he's on the mount. This is prior to coming down and finding that the, uh, the, uh, the golden calf has been erected. We'll see that in just a few moments. But in this, in this, uh, this scene, starting in Exodus chapter 28, we see in verse, uh, we see this, that they are, we are to give our abilities willingly. We are to give our abilities willingly. Look at chapter 28, verse 1. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithmar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Look at verse 3. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments where they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priests. Notice that phrase. He says, get the artisans together. And all the crafty people said, Amen. God has a place for everyone's gifts and everyone's abilities. Go to Exodus 31. In Exodus 31 and verse 6, as they're talking about the artisans, he says, I indeed I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And notice this phrase, I have put wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans that they may make all I have commanded you. God enabled these gifted artisans to be skilled. The word wisdom there is the idea of skilled in practical things. Skilled in making God divinely enabled them to do this. And God gifted these people. There was in the building of the tabernacle and in the making of the garments. And even after the golden calf incident in Genesis, I mean Exodus 32, as you see there in your Bible, if you'll go all the way to Exodus 35, you'll see that God reiterates this through Moses. Exodus 35, starting in verse 10. As Moses, as the book of Exodus is often described, God tells Moses, then Moses turns around and repeats the commands to the people. And here we have some of that repetition in verse 10, chapter 35. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles and the mercy seat and the veil and the covering, the temple and the poles, the utensils, the showbread, the lampstand for lights, its utensils, its lamps and the oil for light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen, for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, its laver, its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its sockets, the screens of the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, the cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments to his sons to minister as priests. Notice 
All of these things required skill. All of these things required gifted people. And God didn't say, Moses, you have to make all that. He said, there are people who will do it, and I've gifted them to do it. And these people brought their gifts and their abilities willingly to God, and they made what God had told them to make. And I want you to notice, this is not just men. Look at chapter 35 and verse 25. In verse 25, it says, all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. God used people, men and women, to do His work, and they were worshiping and they gave their abilities willingly, and they also gave their gifts willingly. The key is willingness. Now back to chapter 25. We're going to take a run at this one more time and look at these gifts that were given. Chapter 25, the same section, but I want you to see now not just the abilities, but their gifts. God wants you to give out of a willing heart. God wants you, when you give, to come joyfully. God wants you to come with a willing spirit, not out of obligation, not out of guilt. He wants you to believe in what you're giving. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and they shall bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take an offering. Notice that, that clause. He says, You do not take an offering from anyone who's not willing. And this is the offering you shall take from them. And he outlines it, gold, silver, bronze, purple, etc. Notice it's done from a willing heart always from a willing heart. Now to chapter 35. In reiterating these things, we see Moses giving the command from God to the children of Israel beginning in verse 4. That's where we're going to start. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Notice again, whoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. And he lists those things in verse 7, 8, and 9. Then go to verse 21. We'll see what happened. The congregation of the children of Israel, verse 20, departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting and for all its service and for its holy garments. They came, their heart was stirred, and they obeyed God and they responded. They brought what God had for them. Look at verse 22. Men and women, as many as had willing heart, they brought earrings and nose rings, rings of necklaces, all jewelry of gold that is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, their heart being stirred. They brought what was needed for the work of the Lord to be done. Verse 29. Then the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. Now, we are not the tabernacle here. I am not Moses. I'm not asking you to come and take all your jewelry and deposit it down front and we'll melt it down. Nothing like that. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. I was wondering where he was going with this. The key idea here is that as we give to the Lord, this is a different situation. God had commanded this specific tabernacle. We don't know what God will have for us, and I don't want to draw too fine a point on this. We don't know what God would have for us, but when you give, whether it's a little or a lot, whatever you give and when you give, you must come like we all should come to the Lord with a willing heart. We say, Lord, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you willingly. I'm happily giving it to you. And when you give your offering, you ought not to feel angry that you gave that offering. You ought to feel joyful that you had the opportunity 
to partner with the Lord's work and do the work of ministry. And really, because as we started at the beginning, as we said, giving is worship. When we give three things, we bring something to God. When we give, we bring ourselves to God. We offer our very selves to God. We say, Lord, I'm yours. Take me and use me how you'd like to be used. And when we come, we give always out of a willing heart. I ask you today, have you been giving things to God that belong to you, or have you been keeping everything that is in your possession for yourself? That is an important thing. Even parents, to, treat, to teach your children how to give what God has given them back to Him. Secondly, are you bringing yourself to God? Are, have you bought into the lie that you can pay God off, that by giving your tithe, you can do whatever you want, or by giving a certain offering, you can go do whatever you want? There's a mindset among some people that that is appropriate, and that is not what God… God wants your heart more than anything. He wants your heart because He owns you, because you're made to reflect Him, and you're made to, to glorify Him. And, and I want you… Like, I, I've been challenged this week in my own study that I should be giving more out of a willing heart, that when we come to God, we come joyfully out of a willing heart, joyfully giving our abilities and our gifts to God with willingness in our heart. Where your treasure is, the Bible says, there will your heart be also. Where we place our treasure, our heart follows. I wonder today, would you ask the Lord to help you give appropriately as a worshipful event? Lord, I ask you today, we thank you today, and we ask you to work in our hearts. Lord, we need you now as we worship you. As we've worshiped you today, we've been in your house. We have been singing songs to you. We have brought ourselves before you. We have examined our hearts by your word. We've allowed your word to speak into our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be humble to give as you would call us to give, to give with worship in our hearts, not out of obligation, but out of joy knowing that you, as we talked about last time, we are stewards of these gifts. This all belongs to you, and we are just stewards. We are ministers of your grace, ministers of your gifts. We are called to be ministers in this world. What a joy, though, to know that we can give as worship, that by worshiping you this way, Lord, you are being honored, you are being praised, not just gifts of offerings of money, but we can give praise, we can give remembrance, we can give all these offerings to you that we talked about, thanksgiving, we can give all these things as a way of giving praise, honor, and glory to you. I pray, God, today, Lord, we would humble ourselves and give of ourselves, that we would give ourselves back to you because you own us, you love us, and you want what's best for us. Bless now the remainder of our service as we close. I pray as we deal with you, we'd be honest before you, and you open our hearts that we might walk with you this week better 